You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Trusting in Jesus, trusting in that every move he makes is going to be for my benefit, good, bad, and indifferent, I'm a happy guy. In fact, the scripture says I'm blessed. When I'm trusting in him with my entire heart, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And Lord, you know I might not like it sometimes, but you're in charge here, I'm not. You be God, I be not. The disciples followed Jesus for years, but when it came to his death, they forgot he would be raised again. They didn't put enough trust in him, and what a shock it was to witness his death. But he did rise again, and today, Pastor Dave will explain how different things can be when we have faith. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 19, as he continues his message, Jesus' death and burial. The soldier fulfills another prophecy, a really great prophecy, and they shall look on him whom they pierce. This is Zechariah 12, 10. And it's a double fulfillment here, as most prophecies are, double fulfillment. When the uh, soldier looked upon Jesus, he was dead. And he recognized he was dead. He looked upon him whom he had pierced. But Zechariah was looking much further ahead. Zechariah was looking much, much further ahead to Jesus' return. When his spirit fell on the nation of Israel, Jesus returns. He's the pierced one. His head with the crowns of thorns have pierced. His hands have been pierced. His side has been pierced. And they look on him whom they pierced. They look on him. They will turn away because they've been trusting in something that was foolish. They've been trusting in false gods. And here's their one true Messiah standing before them. Standing before them, and it says, they look on him whom they pierce, and they mourn. And they mourn. This breaks my heart for them. That they finally realize, oh, no, it's him. It's true. They look on him who is pierced. They realize that we take responsibility for killing him. Part responsibility. I'm responsible for Jesus' death. You're responsible for Jesus' death. But the Jews saying, we're taking responsible for it. We killed him. They mourn. And then the Jewish people turn to Jesus in repentance. What a glorious time. They return to Jesus in repentance. The mourning as if the mourning for a firstborn, a son. It fulfills Romans eleven twenty six, 26, it says all of Israel will be saved. And other passages that talk about the physical return of Jesus Christ to earth. They welcome him as Savior. But it says they looked upon him. They, they looked and they mourned. I see a pattern for us coming to Christ in this. Looking upon him, seeing who he really is, understanding what happened on the cross, we begin to mourn for our sins. We come in to recognize that we're sinful, that we're wretched, sinful creatures, and we need a savior. 
and we see what he did for the cross on the cross, and we accept and we come to know, know him and we come to salvation. Do you remember in John 3 when we studied that? A beautiful passage in John 3. In verse 14 of John 3, when Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Remember the serpent in the wilderness? Snakes bit the children of Israel because of their apostasy, and they were dying. And Moses pleaded the case with God. And God said, fashion a serpent out of brass. Brass means judgment. Fasten a serpent out of brass, put it on a pole, and put it before the camp. Whomever looks at the serpent after they're bitten will not die. And they were all running around, and a snake would bite them. And they would look at the serpent, and they would be healed. Oh, he got bit by the snake. Look at the serpent. I'm not going to fit. Look. What did Jesus say? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If we look to him, if we look to him and mourn our sin, we are drawn to him. And we see this beautiful picture. We must look at him first. And then we're drawn to him. In the midst of your sorry circumstances that you're moaning and groaning about, look to Jesus and be drawn to him. If you're in need of salvation today, look to Jesus, look to the cross and be drawn to him. And come to him freely, willingly. Come to him and be saved. John says in verse 35, he was testified and his testimony is true because I've seen it. I was there. I was at the foot of the cross. I watched him die. I watched him say it is finished. I watched him take his last breath. I was there. I saw it. It's true. This is why John wrote his gospel. We'll find out in um, John 20, 21 and 31. It says 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. It's the whole purpose of John's gospel. So Jesus' death is confirmed. Prophecy is fulfilled. Testimony is true. And finally, Jesus is buried. Part two of the gospel. Jesus is buried. Let's read 38 through 42. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in that garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Two of Jesus' disciples happened to be Pharisees. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus were secret disciples of Jesus. Secret disciples, they were fear. If they came out in favor of Jesus, they'd have been thrown out of the Sanhedrin. They were both members of the Sanhedrin. Not a lot in either scriptures about these two men. We looked at the Luke 23. We learned that Joseph was a part of the Sanhedrin as well. 
We also know that he was a secret follower of Christ. He was a wealthy man. And in Luke, it says he was a good and upright man. We don't know much about him. Then there's our old friend Nicodemus. You know, remember the old Nick at night when he came to see Jesus at night? We know that Nicodemus was also a member of the Sanhedrin. He was also a member of this high ruling party. We know that in John 7, he told them to relax about Jesus, to not take Jesus so seriously. But they wouldn't listen and they continued to move. And now here we see these two men. And upon Jesus' death on the cross, Joseph goes and asks Pilate for his body. This took a lot of courage. This took enormous faith to ask Jesus about his body because of how they felt about him. And Pilate says, yes, the two men were granted custody of Jesus' body, and they begin to prepare it as customary. They wrap it in strips of linen. It's interesting that they use myrrh. It was given to Jesus when? As birth. Given to Jesus at his birth, signifying his death. And so here they are again, fulfilling scripture. But it was the day of preparation, so they had to do it hurriedly. So Joseph and Nicodemus, they put Jesus in the tomb, which was located in the garden. Unbeknownst to them, their choice to put Jesus in Joseph's tomb fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. Hundreds of years before Jesus' death, in Isaiah 53, 9, it says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Both of them were rich. You didn't have those type of tombs if you were not rich. Chief priest would go to Pilate and say, you need to do something about this gaping tomb. He said he was going to rise from the dead. We're afraid his disciples are going to steal him. So do something with it. And you know they rolled a great big monstrous stone in front of the tomb. So Jesus died according to the scriptures, and he was buried. Jesus died, and he was buried. I started thinking, what were the disciples doing at this time? From the time that Jesus was placed in the tomb until the times three days later, when they saw him, what were they doing? What were they thinking? What was going through their mind? And this is what really bugged me about this. Were they angry? Were they disappointed? Were they discouraged? Were they falling in despair or hopelessness or was fear overwhelming them? We know they were hiding because they were afraid of the Jews. We know that. Did they expect Jesus to rise again? Were they looking for his resurrection? He had told them numerous times that he would rise from the dead. But the gospel tells us that they never were convinced that he would rise from the dead. In fact, after the girls go to the tomb and they come back and report it, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe that it actually happened. They couldn't believe it. They were too distraught. They were too upset. What were they doing? What were they doing? What were they doing between that time and the Easter morning, what we call Easter? Well, first of all, I think, I'm sure they were in mourning. You know, these, these guys spent three and a half years with Jesus. When you read that beautiful passage in 1 John about that which we've seen, that which we've heard, that which we've touched, that which we've handled, they were close. And they were close in that day. They walked together. They ate together. They slept around in, in the fire, you know, in a camp style, right? They, they were everywhere. They watched the miracles. They saw things. And when, when things happened that they didn't understand, they called Jesus over and they were able to talk to him about what was going on. 
So this was their master. This was their friend. This was somebody who was extremely close to them, who had just been brutally murdered in front of them. Of course they mourned. Of course they were sorrowful. Of course they were immersed in in this horrible pain of his death. They were beside themselves. They were beside themselves. Jesus was dead. Imagine what Peter felt. Peter must have felt horrible the last time he saw Jesus. He was denying him. And now Jesus was dead. They knew that he was the Christ. Thou art the Christ, son of the living God. He was their closest leader. He was was their friend. He had said to the lowly people, blessed are you. The man who ate with sinners and said to these sinners, the man who ate with you, he came and called them out of righteous, unrighteous lifestyle. He offered them peace and, and, and confirmation. He offered God's kingdom to all who would take it, even to the Pharisees. He offered their unconditional love of God to everywhere he went. He said, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. Rest for your weary heart. I'm going to give you that. I'll take your burden upon me. He called himself as that the kingdom of God had come. He's here. He was dead. You lose someone close to you, you mourn. And they were in mourning. They had no expectation of him rising again. They had no expectation of rising. They were full of doubt. They had traditional beliefs about Judaism and the Messiah. They expected him to come in, kick butt and take names. They expected him to come in and just wipe out the Roman rule and set up his kingdom right then and right there. And that's what they expected. They expected that he was going to be the conquering Messiah. I don't know what they did with Isaiah 53, I don't know why they turned that aside and didn't even look at Isaiah 53 where it talks about the suffering Messiah. No, they wanted a kingly Messiah. A suffering Messiah doesn't match our goal. Maybe a suffering Messiah doesn't match your goal either. They weren't heroes. They just wanted their Messiah alive. Maybe he didn't fulfill the prophecies of the conquering Messiah. He didn't do those things. Maybe he was a heretic. Maybe he was a liar. All these things had to be running through their hearts. They were worried. Maybe they had believed the lie all along. He was dead. He was in the tomb. What are we going to do now? What could we do? He was dead. Many of them chose to leave. Many of them left. Many of them were angry. Disillusioned, disappointed. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you felt that way when you're going through a circumstance. Where's Jesus in the middle of this time I'm going through? How come he hasn't showed up? He's supposed to be healing me because by his stripes I'm healed. How come I'm not healed? Why do I have to go through this financial difficulty? Why do I have to go through this relationship problem? Why did this person have to die? Maybe that's what's happening in your life. Maybe you're you're struggling with the fact that Jesus hasn't showed up in the middle of your circumstance. I'm looking for him, but I can't find him. He's not around. Where'd he go? Their expectations hadn't been met. They expected so much more of Jesus. They expected so much more of him. When we become offended, when the Lord does not do what we want him to do. We become offended when the Lord doesn't do what we expect him to do. Jesus' death and burial did not fit in with the disciples' plans. Didn't fit in with their plans. They weren't even thinking about the resurrection. They weren't even going that way. 
It didn't fit in with their plans. Unmet expectations can hurt any relationships. When you place your expectations on somebody, I guarantee, chances are they're not going to live up to your expectations that you place on that person. And when they fail to meet that expectation, you get upset. You get offended. And there's strife and there's problems when they don't meet that expectation. Expectation are relationship killers. We place expectations on people that no one could meet. No one can meet. John the Baptist was in prison. He had been in prison for a long time. He knew he was facing death. He'd been in prison for a long time. And all of a sudden, he began to doubt. He began to doubt. And he sent disciples asking, tell Jesus, are you the one? Or should we wait for another? You hear the doubt in his voice? You hear the doubt of what he's trying to say? Many of us, during our bad times, when we're waiting for Jesus to do something or show up or waiting for something to happen, we don't wait long enough. We stop the wait and we move out on our own and go, I got to handle this myself. Jesus isn't coming. I got to take care of this myself. And sometimes we leave when we're this close to a victory. Sometimes we leave when we're this close to a victory. When we walk out, the Lord goes, okay, bub, go get them. Instead of waiting upon Jesus, instead of trusting in his word, instead of remembering all the things that he said, these guys couldn't remember what Jesus had said about himself. For three days, the Son of Man must stay in the belly of, of the earth. But on the third day, he will rise again in glory. They didn't hear that. They didn't listen to that. And their expectations were unmet. And they were hurt. They stood in the way of them coming to terms with Jesus and the reality of what was happening. Maybe your expectations are standing in the way between you and Jesus right now. Maybe you expected something completely different. Maybe you expected a healing and it didn't come. Yet, maybe you expected Jesus to fix that relationship. Maybe you expected Jesus to send you a spouse. Maybe you expected Jesus to do this or do that, and it hasn't happened yet. And you're saying, you know what? I can't trust in this guy any longer because he doesn't do what I want him to do. Maybe that describes your life. I don't know. Maybe it does. Disciples' plans were not met. He doesn't promise to shield us from financial problems. He doesn't promise to shield us from physical problems, from emotional problems, from mental problems, or job problems and disappointments. He does promise to deliver us. And that he did on the cross. He has set us free on the cross. Look at the Apostle Paul. Look at the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. So some sort of problem they had. We don't really know what it was. Some people think it was an eye problem. We don't really know what the problem was. It was a thorn in the flesh to buffet, a buffet from Satan. He said to keep him away. And what did he say? He prayed three times, take this from me, take this from me. What was Jesus' answer? What was the Lord's answer? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient. Now I'm sure, and again, please, Please, we are not minimizing anybody's difficulty, please. But I'm sure in the midst of your woe, in the midst of your time, if you heard that, you probably wouldn't be real happy. If you were going through a bad time and one of us came up to you and said, you know, the Lord's grace is sufficient. Don't be telling me his grace is sufficient. I know his grace is sufficient. I just can't do anything about it. 
unmet expectations. When I live with my own expectations, I set myself up for disappointment. When I think Jesus is going to act a certain way, I set myself up for disappointment. But when I live trusting in Jesus, trusting in that every move he makes is going to be for my benefit, good, bad, and indifferent, I'm a happy guy. In fact, the scripture says I'm blessed. When I'm trusting in him with my entire heart, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And Lord, you know I might not like it sometimes, but you're in charge here, I'm not. You be God, I be not. I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in you, Lord. When I trust in him and I trust in his words, man, I am open to all the blessings that may come down my way. And I have freedom, and I'm looking for that joy that comes in the morning when the, empty, when the tomb is empty once again, when Jesus appears in my life. So here we are. Jesus is lying in a tomb. Tomb has been sealed. No one can get in. Our great high priest, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, has died. His body has been prepared perfectly, and he has been placed into a dark tomb, and a stone is rolled in front of it. It was finished. The Sabbath day was dawning. Jesus had finished the work he was sent to do. It was accomplished. Did disciples even vaguely think about him speaking about his resurrection? Did they even think this, if they think what actually happened? Could it really happen? Did they discuss it? Didn't he say he was? Oh, no. Maybe they thought the sacrifice didn't work. Maybe they thought the sacrifice hadn't been good enough. Sometimes we get that feeling too. We don't think that what Jesus did on the cross was good enough, and I need to add to it. I need to add some things to the cross to make it a little better. It was okay. Thank you, Jesus. But I know I need to do this to make it a little better. And then you become a Judaizer by adding to the law, adding the law to Jesus Christ. When you're in that time, do you say, if he would only come, if he would only show up, if he would only reveal himself to me? Little did these guys know that a surprise waited for them just around the corner. Little did they know, little did they believe what was going to happen in just a very short time. Because you know what the scripture says? Joy does come in the morning, doesn't it? And that's where we are in the Gospel of John. The greatest day in history. The greatest, greatest day in history. I believe there are two great days in history. The one when Jesus died, the one when Jesus rose again. But they call it the greatest day because Jesus will come out of that grave. Oh, how glorious will that be? The book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. 
Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.